George Leonardo, former staffer for Senator Cornyn of Texas and founder of Cap Hill Crypto and writer of Cap Hill Crypto Newsletter, which is a newsletter all about crypto policy. And we are joined here today by George and welcome to How About That Crypto. Thank you so much for joining us, George. How are you doing today? Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, excited to be here and to, to do this interview. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so why don't you give uh, the listeners a little background about who you are and uh, what you do uh, before we dive into anything, uh, anything, any of the other, any of our topics for today. Awesome. Sure. So yeah, I started uh, Capital Crypto just earlier this year um, in March, and I started as a way, um, you know, I was getting more and more interested in crypto. I was looking for kind of new side hustle, a new side project. Um, and just out of curiosity, I started uh, looking up to see what legislation was out there. Um, and I think part of why I was doing that was because given my background, as you mentioned, um, when I graduated from Boston College, I went down to Capitol Hill. I worked for Senator Cornyn, um, first as a staff assistant, kind of just answering phones, uh, earning my bones, so to speak. Uh, then moved up, to worked on more policy-related stuff, um, actually like healthcare uh, and education policy. Um, and I was doing that for three years when I was ready for a change. Um, since I was a kid, two things I told myself was I want to be a lawyer and I want to start my own business. Um, so around 2017, I just, it felt like it was a good time. I was ready for a new challenge. So I applied to law school, um, went to law school, uh, worked at a firm doing bankruptcy litigation for a year. Um, and then last September, I had my second uh, child, a son, and my wife and I you know, had lived in DC. It was gone like eight years for me, about 10 years for her. And like, you know, we want to get closer to home. Um, I'm from Providence, Rhode Island. Um, and so we just knew like firm life wasn't going to work out. So I moved back here. Um, so anyways, that's, I was looking for something new to do. I started reading um, while I was in paternity, just found myself reading a lot about crypto. I read the Bitcoin standard, the age of cryptocurrency. Um, so I was looking for how I could, you know, maybe go into that field. And uh, it just seemed like a natural fit to focus on the policy and the law, since that's where my background was. Um, so anyways, fast forward to March, I was like, Digging through, looking for bills that had to do with crypto. I didn't really see any depository or any place to look. Um, I didn't see anyone kind of writing about it at the level that I would be interested in. Um, so I figured, hey, may maybe here's an opportunity. Um, so I started in March, um, just working on building that. Every Friday, we send out a, a newsletter that talks about what happened on Capitol Hill um, in terms of new bills, committee hearings, um, whatever crypto news there might be. Sometimes, uh, you know, whatever the agencies are up to. Um, just try to keep people educated on, on what's going on. Um, as far as crypto policy goes. Nice. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the family and sounds pretty awesome. And uh, congratulations on being able to move home and like pursue your goals. That's also super awesome. Uh, you know, with the whole legal world, I've been following that XRP versus uh, the Ripple Labs versus SEC case and listen to John Deaton, who has the amicus curi or whatever mm -hmm. you, you say it. Is in trails and there's got to go got to go to court and fight it out and present your case and it's not like there's a bunch of precedent so sounds like it could be an interesting time to be there between the legislation and um everything that goes along with it well, yeah it's, it's interesting to say that because that's kind of how i came uh, about the idea for capo crypto is because i you know someone was just kind of getting into it and trying to get up to speed on it I was kind of amazed at how I was like, oh, wait, so there, you know, because when I was on Capitol Hill, I remember talking to, like, it was one or two people who might have, you know, been willing to talk to me about Bitcoin. Um, it just, it wasn't really a thing. Um, and so it was interesting, you know, kind of diving back in you know, a few years later, 
and seeing where we're at. And I was like, wow, we still don't have a legal definition for what's a security and what's a commodity. Um, and just generally, there was a lot of proposed bills on, and some of those impressed with how many more members were interested in it and sponsoring legislation on it. Um, but in others, I was like, wow, we're still really early in, in navigating this, this legal field and this policy field. Um, you know, I'm not a finance guy, I'm not a tech guy, but I was like, all right, since this, we're early in it, the policy phase, that maybe I can add some value here. Um, that's kind of when I jumped in with Kepo Crypto. <laughs> that's awesome. So why don't we jump right in? Why don't you uh, update our users? So and in the channel, I talk a lot about how I think that the biggest uh, risk to crypto is uh, legislation being not friendly to it. Uh, what is like, what are we looking at right now in terms of legislation? Sure. So I think, you know, the biggest question I hear um, is that, like, or when you listen to hearings or hear members talk about it, the big thing is like the regulatory clarity, right? Um, and so I think something that's promising that I've noticed is this year, we've seen at least three really big bipartisan bills aimed at addressing that big question of, you know, what's a security, what's a commodity, um, and therefore, what you know, if it's a commodity, then it'll be subject to CFTC jurisdiction, security, SEC jurisdiction. Um, and so we've seen three bipartisan bills, um, one in the House by leaders of the House Agriculture Committee. Um, on the Hill, it's always important to get buy-in from the committee leaders that have jurisdiction over the bill. So I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Um, something There's a similar bill on, on the Senate side, um, providing, you know, attempting to provide real, regulatory clarity, defining uh, digital assets and, and which are commodities. Um, and of course, there's the Lemus Gillibrand bill, which was just kind of a massive comprehensive bill, which was also exciting to see just, you know, so many different pieces in, in one bill. Um, do I think any of that's going to pass this year? Probably not. It's just, just too much um, this year, given the short legislative calendar. Um, so that's kind of like one bucket of bills to, to keep an eye on, especially as we go um, into the next Congress. Um, but the other big thing, our big basket is stable coins. Um, there seems to be bipartisan support um, around a few different proposals for, for stable coins. Um, will there be enough momentum to make it a priority to pass? This Congress, again, you, you hear mixed things. Uh, a couple of members have been more optimistic. There were some rumors uh, right before August recess that the House Financial Services uh, Committee leaders might have reached a deal. Um, that got pushed back. We said we'll, we'll find out in September. Um, so it's you know, we don't know, it might be again too early, something we have to look forward to next year. But again, it's promising signs that we're seeing bipartisan uh, proposals out there. Um, and there's kind of like a handful of bills, uh, tax exemptions for like the small personal cryptocurrency transactions. Uh, so you see a, kind of a variety of bills addressing that where, you know, I, I think of it as like the coffee cup exemption you talk about not having to pay taxes on your crypto if you use Bitcoin to buy a cup of coffee. Um, and some set the threshold higher than others. I've seen some bills like $50, others $100, um, up to, you know, I think there's one up to $600. Again, I don't, don't think any of that will pass, but these are kind of just like the high level uh, buckets to look at of, of different types of bills and uh, kind of give you a sense of how members are looking at uh, what's a priority on, in Congress. What, um, okay, so what I've read is, uh, and, it's, and correct me if I if I'm wrong, or tell me if, what you think about this. That you know, getting something passed before because of the elections is that is that the reason why we might not see something happen necessarily with this Congress, or maybe until next year, or is it possible like after the election, before the changeover in January, uh, that something happens then? Yeah, it, it's hard to say. It's it's a couple of things. So one of it is just the politics of it, right? Maybe members want to see, will we have, like, think of it. So if you're a Republican, all the news is saying that they think they'll pick up more seats in the House. Um, so it's kind of a little bit of a, a strategy play, right? Where you wonder, do we, we better off waiting when we have more leverage next year? You just 
take the deal in front of you. Of course, you don't know what, what the election is going to be. Um, at the end of the day, uh, aspect of it, or people are trying to figure out, you know, we're better off moving something this year um, as opposed to next year. But then it's also just a timetable um, with what's a priority. Um, it takes a while for a bill to, to get passed. You got to get it through the committee, um, you know, in the House or Senate, and it's got to go to the floor in the, that chamber, um, then go to the other side, go through the same process. Um, and along the way, there's debates, amendments added, debated. Um, so it's just a process and it's, it's a very short calendar because um, the other thing I'm not sure people realize is when the House and Senate are in recess um, for the rest of August, we'll get a decent event again. And you know, I haven't looked at the calendar in a while, but I know when I was there, like a lot of October, uh, the members are back in the, in the states, um, just meeting with constituents, whether they're, if they're up for re-election, you know, doing political stuff. So it's kind of the timetable and just the logistics of getting a bill through, but also the, the political strategy behind it. Got it. So uh, just to recap real quick, we're looking at uh, a Congress that probably most likely will not really get anything passed this year. One, it sounds like. Uh, two, that we're looking at a, a couple. We have a comprehensive bill. We have the stablecoin bill. And you said there was there was another one um, other than the Gillibrand. You talked about another one before uh, yeah, that? So like in terms of the regulatory clarity, like the big bipartisan oh. ones, there's a yeah, House agriculture bill um, and a Senate agriculture bill. Um, okay, for clarity of the of classification of security or commodity. Yeah, and like I hate to be negative because there are rumors that you know some people will tell you that there's still hope for a stablecoin bill. So I'd, I'd like to be optimistic. Um, and then I also I don't know if you followed uh, end of last year there was the investment um, in infrastructure bill, and included in that bill was this provision that kind of uh, a lot of people say in a way it was helpful and that it kind of rallied the crypto industry together um, because there was kind of a surprise amendment where there was this definition of broker where. It was a little written a little too broadly, might have been rushed through. Um, it, se it seems like no one really agreed with the definition the way it was written um, after it was passed. So I'm still wondering, it's kind of before I was following closely how it passed in the first place. But there's been numerous provisions to try to clarify that. And the main concern was the way it was written, it might include, you know, I think it was intended to include Coinbase or Robinhood um, and subject them to certain reporting requirements as a way to kind of avoid tax evasion, raise revenue. Um, I think it scored a raise like five million in revenue, so that that was one reason why I was included in the infrastructure bill as a way to pay for it. Um, and so I've, there's been a few proposals to try to fix that, uh, try to narrow that definition um, to make sure it includes just the people it was intended and not people like miners or software developers who might be thrown um, or might be considered to, to fall into the definition as it's written now. Um, so to me, when I look at the bills and I see the bipartisan support, I'm, I wonder if that one can't kind of sneak its way through. Um, even the IRS itself, uh, there were reports, they said they, they don't think they're ready to, to implement this on January 1st, um, no, next year when it's due. So maybe that adds a little um, impetus to, to get things moving to, to find a fix, because since technically, according to the text of the statute, it's supposed to be implemented January 1st. All right. So it's... Uh we're operating in a lot of uh, areas of uncertainty and uh, we're looking yeah, to get challenge, some, but I guess that's also can be like the exciting part for us, right? It's like following it and, and trying to stay on top of it the best we can. <laughs> well, it seems that uh, this uncertainty is uh, it's keeping some money out of the market and some keeping, keeping some of the adoption low. So it'd be nice to get some sort of clarity. Although there's a lot of people out there that, our anti-regulation and anti-legislation, yeah. um, but not me. I think that that's I think that's what we need for it to be legitimized. 
in a big way. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. You know, I don't know about you, but a lot of the people I talk to, even in my family, and they find out what I'm doing, you hear things like, oh, Cripple, that's still the wild, wild west, or um, they're just kind of scared of it. And I think it's, you know, for people, you know, on the other side of the law who, who yeah. stuff and don't see the case, I think to get to like the mainstream ad- adoption that I like to see, I think people feel more comfortable if you could say it's regulated. Um, and then kind of going back to stable coins, I think, I think that could be, uh, you know, kind of an on-ramp for a lot of people. So the fact that that's getting bipartisan um, support and there's at least talk about that, that might move, if not this year, then the next year, I think that could be a good way to, to get people in, you know, some of the more complicated um, aspects of, of crypto and DeFi might might be hard for a lot of people to grasp, but, you know, stable coins, I think, might be a little simpler. It's just, it's like a virtual dollar, right? Um, right. I know it's my parents, they ask me about stable coins more than they do Bitcoin, which can be frustrating sometimes, but. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say that, like, for somebody that's listening or watching that, if they're wondering, like, so just like, what's the super high level? Do you have confidence that this remains a non-politicized bipartisan issue? Uh, or do you think that there's a risk that the election could go in a w- direction that creates some sort of hostility towards the crypt- crypto regulation legislation? Yeah, it's a good question. It's something I wonder. It's in just the day and age, you see it on all the other issues that get polarized so quickly. Um, so it's been great. One, one of the things, you know, I would be frustrated with as a Hill staffer, it seemed like any time like, an issue came before us, you could kind of guess like, all right, this is how Democrats will do it. This is how Republicans will do it. And so it's kind of nice. One of my favorite parts about covering crypto is that it is bipartisan and seems to um, kind of dodge a lot of the, the partisanship that plagues a lot of the other issues. Um, with that said, it's always it's always a threat that, you know, politics will will have a factor in that. Um, I do think you see a little bit of a narrative developing where it's Republicans are more the protecting innovation in the space and the crypto skeptics seem to be more on the side of Democrats. Um, but with that said, there's there's some great members on um, the left, um, like Congressman Darren Soto from Florida, Congressman uh, Rishi Torres from New York, who, you know, champion blockchain technology as hard as anybody. So um, I, I hope it stays bipartisan is my answer, you know, whether that's a case, you know, remains to be seen. Gotta wait, just gotta wait, huh? <laughs> All right, yeah, well. Part of it, you know, is, is like, that's what the education aspects you can look at and, and trying to just get both sides of the arguments out there. Um, and it's definitely better for the, if you need it to be bipartisan, maybe, you know, that's what I try to tell people. Um, it's not good for anyone when, um, when like the tribalism sets in, it'll just, it'll just set us back. So it's better to try to remain neutral as much as possible. Totally agree, totally agree. I do not like seeing it being politicized. Um, Okay, so speaking of um, some uncertainty, uh, we had just solved that there were these sanctions. Uh, t- the U.S., I guess, with the Department of Treasury, put the sanctions out on uh, on on Tornado Cash. You want to give us a little uh, Capitol Hill and legal insight to that because it seems like that's potentially a mess. Yeah. So yeah, that's a. I mean, it's a tough issue. That's one, or it's going to get at what you just brought up, like where it could drive parties one way or the other you know it's a, it's a tough issue um because on the one hand right it seems the facts are relatively clear um but what tornado cash was being used by some illicit parties for illicit purposes but it was north korea hackers or um, evading sanctions i think i saw chain analysis put together a good report um, i shared it in my, my newsletter last week that had like a pie chart of showing um you know 
how the funds broke down. I, but that said, I think it was like, I want to say 30% at the highest that was used for illicit purposes based on their analysis. Um, so you wonder, you know, one, just from like the political aspect of things and how members of Congress are going to look at that. It's like, how do you balance protecting the privacy rights of, you know, perfectly lawful use and, and users using this um, with the fact that, I mean, it's obviously not going to be popular if you're a member of Congress, if someone can run an ad against you saying, oh, you helped support abating sanctions or um, help North Korea launder money. Um, and so it's, it's a tough issue. I think that's just kind of a political issue on it. Uh, from a legal standpoint, I know I'm not a, a, a sanctions lawyer by any means, but I, I have been interested in it. And um, Point Center has put together, um, they're a nonpartisan think tank or looking into blockchain crypto issues. And, you know, they put together a good legal analysis I saw where, you know, there are some questions of just the way legally these sanctions come out, um, like whether they exceeded their statutory authority. Um, at least with some of the sanctions. Um, so kind of take a step back. The way the sanctions were written, there was kind of, it was Tornado Cash, um, the website, like the URL was listed, um, and there was, I want to say like 30 or so Ethereum addresses. And so what Quinn Center was saying was, you know, for these just certain, at least these certain addresses where it's just the smart code or smart contract, like we've never seen OFAC sanctioned code before. So um, it'll be interesting to see what members of Congress say when they get back and how they, they approach this issue and see if they take issue with sanctioning code. Um, but, you know, Point Center put together some good analysis where they said, one, it might not be statutory allowable. Um, and then two, there might be some constitutional issues here uh, with code being freedom of speech um, and also procedural due process. Because when you deprive citizens from um, the freedom to use this technology without conceivably any process, you know, facts are unclear of what process if anyone's followed in, in making this decision. Um, but there's at least those issues to, to think about going forward. Well, so I, uh, I don't know. There. <laughs> What's that? I said, sorry, I know that's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, this, you know, when I first saw this tornado cash thing, and I saw that it was part of connected to the North Korea North Korean hacker group Lazarus I think it is uh that was like oh well we def definitely don't want to be like arming you know helping fund nuclear weapons for North Korea uh but yeah. then I saw like a bunch of uh people were pissed about it so they started sending small amounts of ETH to a bunch of different addresses yeah. of like celebrities and other people which was taking them kind of like causing their address to get like frozen or blacklisted or whatever happens so that sounds like uh, they could essentially, in theory, couldn't they just send it to a bunch of addresses and basically like jam up the entire ecosystem of Ethereum? I mean, if a bunch of addresses and if these are big addresses, exchange addresses, I don't know. It just seems like it's like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, that's interesting. I saw that story too. And my first question too is just from like a, an enforcement perspective, the way I understand it is these sanctions are are strict liability. And so like whether you intended to violate sanctions or not, or like receive funds from Tornado Cash, you could still by the letter of the law, like have violated these sanctions. So, you know, the example you bring up where someone's just spraying Ethereum left and right into to random addresses, like obviously they're, I think they'll prioritize this prosecutorial discretion, you know, which ones they're going to go after, but it still just kind of brings up like, I don't think the novelty of the, the issues we're facing in the legal space of, of one, like, is this legal? And two, like, if it is, how is this going to be enforced? You know, um, right. It's, we haven't seen it before. It's unprecedented, as you mentioned. Right. 
Well, uh, I think it's I think it's going to be really interesting to see. So I guess uh, what I also saw was Coin Center. I think they fought a lawsuit. Is that right? Or they're going to court or something like that? So I don't know if they, they filed it yet. I think, you know, what I read, the last I've read of it was, uh, you know, they put together the arguments opposed to that, but like it hasn't been filed in a court yet. And I think they're kind of fleshing through the arguments. I'd imagine it would take some time to really dig into the precedent that is out there with sanctions laws in general, and then see how to apply it to this new case. Um, but that generally takes, I, I would imagine, like a, a few months or so, but maybe they're, they're faster than, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, um, but yeah, it will be interesting. I, I'm definitely going to follow that closely to see what arguments they make, one, um, two, like how a court would receive those. Well, uh, Kevin O'Leary on an interview, I don't know if you saw it, he said that Tornado Cash is a cowboy, crypto cowboy with arrows in its back. He said he's sick of crypto cowboys and he says that it's fine that it's a sacrificial lamb. Uh, he doesn't care about this this thing. Uh, he wants to get rid of anything that's gonna gonna get the nose turned up by regulators and uh, and he thinks that the guy that got arrested in at Holland or somewhere um, that that's okay that he, that 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 dude is arrested because it's just one sacrifice for the greater the greater good and movement yeah. of crypto do you have any thoughts about that uh one i'm, I'm a big kevin o'leary fan um i i get that argument i've seen that argument i kind of guess like the political aspect of it um where yeah like i, I get that where maybe like if i am understanding incorrectly the argument is all right, well, if we clean up some of that bad stuff, and like what we talked about earlier with the wild west of crypto, that narrative kind of goes away. It's like, oh, see, we can police this. Um, my problem with that argument um, is, is that that's usually not how we, we look at the law, right? Like, because bad people are using it, no one can use it, right? right. Um, and, you know, I do wonder about just, it's just kind of interesting because the burden seems to be um, on the people who want to use or have financial privacy, right? It's like you need an excuse to to say why you want your transaction to be private rather than the burden of being like, why shouldn't we be able to be private? Does that make sense? Um, yeah, yeah. And so when I look at it from that perspective and I see, you know, it's only 30% are using it and, you know, the slippery slope argument, you know, where, all right, so sanction, this is code at the end of the day, like what kind of precedent are we setting when we say it's okay to just basically ban um, pieces of software? You know, I'm kind of just thinking about these issues with the tornado cash. So, it's, you know, it's, this is my opinion on it. Just, I, don't know, I guess I divide it into two ways: the ways Congress will think about it, and then you know, my own political philosophies of uh, totally. protect financial privacy. Totally, yeah. I I like the way you put it. Yes, from from an angle of let's clean this up and make this legit and get rid of this stuff that's see that's looks super illegitimate, like yeah. something to launder money and. Uh, get rid of that but yeah the legal side it seems like there's a big uh, conversation that's going to be had or a big fight that might be had uh and that sounds like kind of exciting because it also is also legitimizing the space in a way by just having it so public and you know these lawsuits and judges and lawyers and all the regulators they have to get in and they have to present their yeah. argument so more headlines to come too. um i do feel like more people have talked to me about tornado cash than um, a lot of you know, maybe your average week on Capitol Hill is just, you know, a bill or a hearing that goes on. Turner Cash really seems to touch on, um, I don't know, it seems to bring out, um, people feel passionate about it one way or the other, right? Yeah. Um, and so we'll get people thinking about these issues. And at some point, the industry is going to have to confront it. So, you know, better start now, I guess. Awesome. Well, um, 
Thank you so much for giving us this update. Is there anything, any last piece of information that you think that people should have in terms of these topics? Uh, you know, the only thing I guess might be a good note to close on is, you know, I have worked on the Hill um, as a staff assistant taking calls and um, as a legislative correspondent where I'd read all the mail that came in. Um, it does matter, you know, if people feel passionate about uh, crypto issues, you know, however they feel about them, it does help to, to weigh in. If you ever, you know, happen to be in DC, you know, check in with your members. I think the more people or members start hearing about it um, or, and how people feel about it, maybe, you know, it does move the needle. It will take time. Um, but unless members feel like this is a priority for the constituents, it's going to be hard to, for them to just decide to make it a priority on their own. Um, and we've seen a lot of progress, but there's a long way to go. So, um, you know, when you call in, you write in, it, it does get logged, it does get passed along to the senator or, or member of Congress. So, um, you know, it doesn't hurt. And then obviously elections coming up. Um, Crypto Curator, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he does a great job tracking candidates. Um, and so if you're more curious about the political side of thing and who, how candidates view crypto, uh, it's a good website to, or good person to follow website to check out um, to figure out how it can make a difference in November. Awesome. Cool. So you heard it here. Get get, a, get involved. T- reach out to your congressional members. Let them know what's up. Also, if you're not already uh, subscribed to George's newsletter for Cap Hill Crypto, uh, there's going to be a link in the description below. You can also find him on Cap Hill Crypto on Twitter, right? Is that Yep, handles yep. Capital Crypto, um, capitalcrypto.com if you want to go sign up for the newsletter. keep Try to keep it nice and simple. <laughs> All right, cool. Capitalcrypto.com. The link will be in the description. Uh, thanks again for coming on. I'd, I'd love to uh, you know touch base with you down once we get some more updates and uh, just keep everybody updated on what's happening uh Capitol Hill. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. This was fun. And um, congrats to you on your success and looking forward to watching you uh, continue to build um, what you're working on. And yeah, we'd love to come back on sometime. Thank you. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Take care. And if you're listening on YouTube uh, podcast, please give us a following and a rating. And if you're watching on YouTube, uh, please give us a subscribe, leave a comment below. It helps support the channel and we'll see you all next time. All right. See ya. Paddle on.